This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Welcome to episode five of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Jovan Buha, the Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. I want to start off this podcast by just saying thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast on Twitter and Instagram, uh, whether that's retweeting my my tweets with the links, uh, shouting out the podcast on, on Twitter or on Instagram stories. I really appreciate the support and the feedback. I uh, would not be doing this without you guys. So thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Uh, now on to this episode. Episode five, I'm going to be doing a mini playoff preview. Uh, as of right now, the Clippers are the number five seed. They'd be playing the Portland Trailblazers in round one. But, you know, there's still eight games left in the season. Clippers could finish anywhere from number five to number eight right now. Uh, potentially number four, but you, know, you can't officially rule it out yet, but it's unlikely. Uh, so while they're probably going to play one of the top four seeds, uh, there's still a scenario in which the Clippers play any of the remaining uh, seven West playoff teams. So I wanted to break down uh, with about five to seven minutes per you know per series uh, how I think the Clippers would fare against those teams, what are the most ideal matchups, what are the least ideal matchups, and kind of the advantages and disadvantages in each series for the Clippers. So I'm going to get into, I'm going to rank these from one to seven with one being the most ideal, seven being the least ideal. Uh, Going to get into teams' records, uh, offense, defensive rating, that rating, uh, the season series with the Clippers, the point differential, and then the advantages and disadvantages from watching the games, going over the stats, and just kind of knowing uh, some of these teams. So without further ado, let's get into episode five. So I've been vocal about this. I think that the best matchup for the Clippers would be the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs right now are 43 and 31. They are the eight seed. They have the seventh best offense in the league and the 20th best defense. Overall net rating 12th. This season series, the two teams split it 2-2, but the Clippers were slaughtered in their two losses. So they had a point differential of minus 36 through the four games. Uh, so the Spurs actually, you know, outscored them by nine points a game. If you're looking at it through that prism, uh, for me, the the advantages, you know, for the Clippers in this series are just, you know, simply none of the. I don't think any of these teams in the West are an ideal, uh, you know, matchup. I wouldn't say, 
you know, I think the the Clippers could probably win, you know, beat a couple of these teams, but I would not pick the Clippers as the favorites necessarily. Uh, if they had home court advantage against the Spurs, I would pick them as the favorite. But in basically any other series, I think they're probably the underdog. Against the Spurs, though, I think the Spurs are just simply the worst of the seven, you know, other playoff teams besides the Clippers. So I, I just think, you know, if you want to boil it down to that basic, you know, idea like you want to play the the worst of the seven teams so to me playing the spurs would would you know be the most ideal situation uh and and you know as far as other advantages the clippers have actually defended demar Derozan reasonably well though some of that was with avery bradley who's obviously no longer on the team uh the clippers have gotten to the free throw line a lot and taking care of the ball against the spurs so those are two you know keys for any you know if you look at the trends in, in clippers victories it's getting to the free throw line a lot. It's turning the ball over, um, you know, not that much. So both of those have played to the Clippers' advantage in matchups with the Spurs. Uh, the Spurs aren't a great defensive team. The Clippers can put up points against them. Uh, and they're also not very big on the wing and, uh, you know, just in the backcourt, which I think has been, a you know, something that's worked against the Clippers this season is that they're not the biggest team on the perimeter. And when, you know, opponents have, when opponents have size advantages against the Clippers and, and not just not just size advantages, but, you know, guys who can actually score and, and you know, in isolation and pick and rolls and, and really take advantage of those size advantages. Um, that's when the Clippers are in trouble. Now, DeMar DeRozan is, you know, DeMar DeRozan can do that. Uh, and, and so can Rudy Gay. But I don't think those guys scare you as much as some of the other guys on other teams, uh, you know, p- potential playoff matchups. So. I think also defensively, you know, this is the best matchup for the Clippers. Uh, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, which I'm about to get to, uh, DeRozan and Gay have all kind of had offensive success against the Clippers this season. But I, I don't think, the, again, I don't think those guys scare you as much as some other players on this list. So I think from a defensive, just looking at it from a defensive outlook, the Spurs are probably the best matchup for the Clippers defense um, you know, there's a lot of isolation, a lot of mid-range shooting. Uh, you know, they do have they do have good ball movement, and then they do have multiple. You know, they're deep. They have multiple guys who can, um, you know, put up 15 points a night. But I, I think again, it's pick your poison, and ultimately the Spurs present the fewest amount of problems for the Clippers. But the disadvantages, uh, the Spurs have blown them out twice, which you know both instances the Spurs put on a clinic offensively uh shut them down you know shut the Clippers down defensively and it was pretty ugly in in both games um and the main reason why has been the Clippers have absolutely no answer for LaMarcus Aldridge in the four games they've played he's averaging 26.3 points 10.3 rebounds and 1.5 blocks on 57.5 percent shooting uh, so he's clearly the best player in this series and the Clippers have absolutely no answer for him. Uh, I think Ivica Zubats maybe would be the best person to throw at him that, you know, that the Clippers have had all season, but, uh, you know, I don't think he has the agility, uh, and the strength to really bother LaMarcus on the, you know, on the block. So I, I think LaMarcus is going to be a problem. And I think he, he's going to be the best player in the series. And I think that would potentially swing the series in San Antonio's favor. Uh, at the same time, like I just said, the Spurs prefer isolation and, and mid-range shooting. 
which is kind of what the Clippers are looking to give up. So that sort of plays into the Spurs' hands because the Clippers are looking to force mid-range shots, but the Spurs are actually good at that and prefer that in their offense. So uh, there's an element of like, you know, the, the Clippers want LaMarcus Aldridge taking 18, 20 footers, except LaMarcus Aldridge is one of the best players in the league at making those shots. So uh, there is that kind of dynamic where the, the Spurs' offensive strengths are kind of what the Clippers want teams to to, to take, and, and that would kind of play into the Spurs' hands. Another issue for the Clippers would be they don't have Tobias Harris, who played really well against the Spurs, uh, you know, was tied with Lou for the leading score from Clippers' side of things. So I, I think they would miss that source of offense. And then the final disadvantage would would be Pop. He's the best coach, I think, of all time, uh, still probably the best coach in the league. And while I think Doc has proven, as you saw in the 2015, you know, first-round series that the Clippers won in seven, he's proven he could go toe-to-toe with, Doc, uh, you know, with Pop. But it is still his pop. Uh, he's still amazing. And I think that the Spurs would have the, the, the coaching advantage slightly in this instance. Moving on to number two, or you know, this is the second best matchup for the Clippers, the Portland Trailblazers. And I've floated this out before on this podcast. I've written about it. I've, I've said it on Twitter. And I've gotten some pushback, which has surprised me. To me, again... I don't think the Blazers are necessarily easy. Uh, I think if you're looking at the top four in the West, though, you know the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Blazers, and the Rockets, the Blazers are the most ideal team to me to want to face. The, the Nuggets have been, you know, obviously the Warriors are the Warriors, and the Rockets are starting to look like the Rockets of last year. But And then the Nuggets have been the third or fourth best team probably this season. The Blazers, to me, are more beatable. You know, you look at what New Orleans did to them in the playoffs last season. Uh, I don't, I don't think the Clippers would necessarily pull off a, you know, a road sweep, but I, I do think they could drag this out to a six or seven game series and potentially win it. Uh, so, looking at the Blazers, forty-five and twenty-seven record, they're fourth right now, uh, fourth in offense, sixteenth in defense, and eighth in net rating. Uh, the season series went 1-3 in favor of the Blazers, with the Blazers outscoring the Clippers by 32 points. Uh, so that's eight points a game. But going to the advantages now, the Clippers lost the season series 1-3, but they easily could have won it 3-1 or tied it 2-2. Uh, two of those losses came down to the wire, one in Portland, one in LA. The, the Blazers out-executed them down the stretch, but... With, with a couple bounces here or there, the Clippers could have tied the season series or won it 3-1. And I think we would be looking at this a little bit differently. There's a blueprint to stopping the Blazers. That's two on the ball, trapping pick and rolls with Dame and CJ. The Clippers kind of started that in, in 2016 when they lost to the Blazers in the first round. Uh, they would have won that series had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin not gone down. But I, I think they kind of started that blueprint. You saw, you've seen like the Warriors execute it. Uh, you saw the the Pelicans execute it last postseason. I think there is a blueprint to beating the Blazers. You know, you really focus on Dame and CJ, take them out or at least limit them, make things tough on them. I don't think they have enough offense, really. You know, if, if Alfred Aminu, Mo Harkless, Yusuf Nurkic, Evan Turner, Anis Cantor, the rest of those guys beat you, then they beat you and, and you just live with that. But I think if you can really make things difficult on Dame and CJ... Uh, you you have a chance to beat the Blazers. So again, the Clippers really have to key in on those two and Nurkic. And I think otherwise, 
I don't really trust the rest of Portland's roster. I just don't, you know, I think, I think they're very beatable. Similarly to the Spurs, the Blazers defense is not that good. Uh, They're not an elite defense. So I I think the Clippers can put up points against them. And the Clippers have only averaged 8.8 turnovers per game against the Blazers. The Blazers, similarly to the Clippers, have a very conservative defense, uh, especially in the pick and roll. They do not force turnovers. They actually force turnovers at a historically low uh, rate. So I think that's really important for the Clippers because two of their biggest issues all season have been high turnovers and poor rebounding. And if the Clippers are not turning the ball over in, in a matchup, I think they have enough offensive firepower to to at least be in the game, if not win. And you know, the, a lot of it will come down to their free throw shooting and their ability to draw fouls, but. Uh, I think if you're giving the Clippers, you know, a lot of opportunities uh, against you, uh, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, another thing has been Shea has played really well against the Blazers. He uses his size well. They don't really have someone to defend him, and uh, I think that he could be a potential X factor in this matchup on both ends. Now, as far as disadvantages, small guards have really given the Clippers trouble this season, uh, which has been kind of funny because they had Avery Bradley before, they have Patrick Beverly now. But Pat has actually kind of become better on wings than he is on small guards. Uh, and, and Dame and CJ have both given the Clippers a lot of problems this season. Uh, combined, they're averaging 54.3 points a game. They've each had 20-point quarters against the Clippers this season, which is kind of crazy. And, you know, I, I go by, you know, a lot of times when I'm looking at a playoff matchup, I just think of a blacktop and you throw both teams out there you know, who are you going to draft first? Who are you going to draft second? On and on and on between the two teams if, if you combine the rosters. In this instance, the Blazers have the best player, clearly, in Damian Lillard, and they potentially have the second best player in CJ McCollum. So I, I do think that's something that plays into Portland's advantage where on a nightly basis, they're going to have the best, if not the two best players in the series. And then this matchup in particular was the matchup that Tobias was the most effective, averaging 29.3 points a game. So I think the Clippers will miss Tobias in this matchup. Uh, the Blazers had absolutely no answer for him. And I think that he he's someone that really could have swung this series in favor of the Clippers had he still been on the team. So it's tough for me looking at this, but I do think, I think in any other matchup from here on out, uh, in this preview, I'm going to take the opponent. But against the Spurs and Blazers, I think I would favor the Clippers right now. The way they're playing, uh, I think they could beat either of those teams with or without home court advantage. And I, I think there's enough advantages uh, you know, in the Clippers' side of, of the ledger to to you know potentially win either of those series in, in six or seven games. So uh, I know that might not be the most popular opinion with the rest of NBA Twitter and stuff, but I do think the Clippers could pull off the upset in either instance. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork, or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. 
Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com, getethos.com. Moving on to number three, I have the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Nuggets are 49 and 23. They have the fifth best offense in the league, the 10th best defense, and the fourth best net rating. Uh, Maybe I'm underrating the Nuggets right now, but I do think there are several things that the Clippers could exploit in this potential series. Uh, The season series went one to three in favor of the Nuggets. Nuggets outscored the Clippers by 36 points. Uh, So overall, that was nine points a game. And as far as advantages for the Clippers, again, like the Spurs and Blazers, the Nuggets are a smaller team on the perimeter. And even though some of those guys have a little bit of size, you know, like a Will Barton, a Torrey Craig, they're not really guys that you fear, at least in comparison. You know, there's no Dame Lillard, DeMar DeRozan, James Harden, Paul George, Westbrook, Curry, Clay Thompson, like of the perimeter groups in this playoff picture the nuggets might have the worst perimeter crop jamal murray is is a really good player gary harris is solid will barton is good but they're not at that level yet so to me i I think that's something another you know again going back to the clippers facing you know smaller backcourts i think that you know that will play into the clippers advantage uh, especially in this matchup. The Nuggets don't have a lot of collective playoff experience, uh, which would help the Clippers because the Clippers don't really either. But the Clippers do have some guys that have been there. Lou Williams, Pat Beverly, uh, Trez, Gallo, Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple. There there are enough guys on the Clippers where you know the, the Nuggets have their own guys, uh, Isaiah Thomas, who probably wouldn't play much in, in this series. But uh, you know Paul Millsap, Will Barton, like, the, the Nuggets have some playoff experience, but looking at their key guys, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, uh, they don't have playoff experience. And I think that, you know, in, in this series, that would be a potentially deciding factor. Uh, again, like I said, uh, after, uh, after the Blazers preview, I would still pick the Nuggets in this series, but I, I do think the Clippers could potentially drag it out a bit uh, just because of the the Nuggets' lack of playoff experience, uh, the Nuggets' defense, though it is number ten, it has slipped. It was number five for you know top five, top seven for a lot of the season. Uh, it's gotten progressively a little bit worse, and I don't really trust their defense to be honest. I, I you know, Paul Millsap is a good defender. Uh, Barton and, and Harris can be solid, but uh, I think you can exploit them in the pick and roll. You could attack Nikola Jokic. Uh, I, I don't love their their bench defense either. And I think that there's a little bit of fool's gold with the Nuggets defense. So I think if you are the Clippers, your strategy against the Nuggets is probably going to have to beat out, score them. Uh, and it's tough because the Nuggets offense is so good. But I think the Clippers have a, a puncher's chance of doing that for at least a game or two and, and kind of exposing the Nuggets defense. Now, on the disadvantage side, the Nuggets, again, have the best player in the series. That's going to be a trend in all seven of these matchups. Uh, For as good as Lou Williams and Danilo Gallinari have been, uh, all seven of the other playoff teams have at least one player who's better than both of them. Uh, In this instance, it's obviously Jokic, who 
He's an MVP candidate, you know, all NBA first team candidate. Uh, he's been averaging 20 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists against the Clippers in the season series. And those are pretty similar to his overall stats. Uh, you know, another disadvantage for the Clippers in this matchup is the Nuggets are just as deep as them. They don't have as good of a bench player as Lou or Trez individually, I would say, but their second unit is arguably deeper and better. Uh, so I think that, you know, in this instance, if the Clippers do stick with, you know, the hockey substitutions or even a, a lineup of like three or four bench guys, uh, the Nuggets can can match and, and possibly outplay them in those minutes. And I think, you know, the Clippers depth is not as big of an advantage against the Nuggets as it is against some other teams. Uh, the Nuggets have a great home court, uh, you know, sort of the Blazers. I didn't mention that, but Denver is historically, you know, because of the altitude and just the way they play at home, uh, it's a very tough place to win. So especially I think, you know, their first playoff, what first playoff appearance in a few years, uh, that would be, you know, the crowd's going to be hyped. It's going to be a very, you know, loud, hostile environment. And I think that could potentially play to the Nuggets' advantage. And then looking kind of at the, just kind of how the season series has played out, the Nuggets have eight guys averaging double figures against the Clippers. So it's not just been Jokic or Murray or Millsap hurting them. They've had multiple guys, you know, really hurting the Clippers. So uh, I think this would probably be a track meet. It would be a very offensive dictated series and ultimately I, I would pick the nuggets but I, I do think the clippers have a chance of making this you know dragging this out to potentially six games so for you know if the clippers do drop from five uh and end up in seven or eight for, for their sake for for a longer series I, I think they should hope to face the nuggets and obviously not the warriors uh number four for me is the oklahoma city thunder uh, I'll just I'll spoil it right now. Number five is Utah. Uh, I went back and forth with with OKC and Utah. Uh, they're very similar profile wise, where you know they're I mean they're it's actually kind of eerie how similar they are. They have the same exact record. The Thunder are you know have a middle of the road offense as do the Jazz, and then they both have really good defenses. But I went with the Thunder because I think offensively they're they're I mean they are worse. They're ranked worse. I just think they're easier to game plan uh, for than the Jazz are. But let, let's get into the Thunder here. So the Thunder are 43 and 30. They have the 16th best offense in the league and the fourth best defense. Overall 10th in net rating. Uh, the season series was split 2-2 with a point differential of zero. Uh, both teams ended up having the same amount of points. Uh, in this matchup, the advantages for the Clippers like I just said, would be that the Thunder have the most predictable and weakest offense among these teams. Uh, they take a lot of inefficient shots between Paul George and Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder. It, it's really been an issue for the Thunder going back to you know when they came to Oklahoma City. There's always been this you know weird offensive. Um, I don't know if malaise is the right word, but there you know the stagnation, there's the inefficiency uh, for all the talent they consistently have offensively they always seem to underachieve now Paul George has gotten his numbers you know he's averaging over 25 points a game uh, against the Clippers in the season series but they've held him to 40 percent shooting Pat obviously had that great game against him uh, in the Clippers 118-110 win over the Thunder a couple weeks ago and 
you know, uh, the Clippers have thrown Pat at him. They've thrown Gallo. They've thrown Avery. They've thrown Tobias. All those guys have had, you know, relatively um, decent success against Paul. And I, I think that that's going to, that's really going to be probably the series right there, in my opinion, is who's guarding Paul George and what's he, you know, is it Pat? Is it Gallo? How are they faring? Is Paul getting the free throw line? Um, you know, if he's putting up MVP type numbers, I think the OKC Thunder probably win that series in, in like five games. But if you can really wear him down, make him play inefficient basketball, uh, I think that, you know, another example of a series the Clippers could, could probably drag out. Um, the Thunder have been struggling lately. You know, there was a time where it was looking like the Clippers might play them in the 3-6 matchup or 4-5, but, you know, the the Thunder have a really difficult schedule down the stretch. I think they have one of like the three or four hardest schedules in you know remaining, and it's looking like there's a potential possibility that they're the seven or eight seed, and that would obviously benefit the Clippers, you know, just to keep them kind of out of that range. Uh, and then the last advantage I have here for the Clippers is Gallo and Lou have, have both torched the Thunder this season, uh, averaging twenty eight point eight and twenty four point seven points respectively. Uh, I think that is one of the most important things for the Clippers offensively is just those two getting off, those two getting to the foul line. The Thunder have not really had, you know, for as good as Paul George is defensively, Lou's given him the business. Uh, Paul George can't guard both Gallo and Lou at the end of games. And Gallo is, is really, Gallo's been the one that, you know, averaging almost 29 points a game against the Thunder. Like he's destroyed the Thunder in all four matchups. The Clippers have really exploited that. The Thunder, you know, Jeremy Grant, Patrick Patterson, uh, now Markeith Morris, like those guys can just not guard Gallo. We haven't seen playoff Gallo yet, so so who knows how he's going to fare in, in the playoffs. But uh, I do think that, you know, that could be a big advantage for the Clippers. On the disadvantage side, uh, Paul George and Russell Westbrook are the two best players in the series. Uh, again, you know, I, I don't like to be reductive and just make it about who has the best player. But I think a lot of times when you see whoever wins a playoff series tends to have the best player. It, it is very rare for, you know, you have those maybe LeBron or, or Giannis instances where, you know, one guy's just amazing, but for, you know, supporting cast doesn't show up or whatever and they lose the series. But I think in most instances, you know, the, the player who's the most impactful, who's the best will dictate that series. And I think, the Thunder, you know, don't just have one. They they have two guys who could do that. So that would be a fear for me from the Clippers side going against, uh, you know, the Thunder. And, you know, similarly to OKC's issue of not being able to put Paul George on, on Lou and Gallo, Clippers can't put Pat Beverly on Russ and Paul George. So they really have to pick their poison. Uh, they put Shea on, on Russ in the last matchup for a lot. I think Shea actually held his own, and, and that's probably the best way to, to deploy Shea defensively is to kind of put him on point guards and have him sag off a little bit, force them into you know taking kind of semi-contested threes and, and long twos, which we all know uh, Russ loves to take. You know the, the other thing with the Thunder is that they have an elite defense, a lot of size, length, and athleticism to bother the Clippers, uh, especially Lou. Clippers have turned the ball over 19 times a game against them, which is the most against any of these opponents. Uh, the Thunder are also one of the best rebounding teams in the league. I think they actually are the best, uh, and they have a great home court advantage. So there are a lot of things that would play into the Thunder's advantage in, in a series with the Clippers. And that's why, again, I, I would pick OKC in this matchup. But 
I, I do think that again, it, it would, I think it would just come down to uh, what Paul George shows up and how good he is. But if he is like the version we've seen in, in the regular season, uh, I think that would probably go the Thunder's way. On to number five, the Utah Jazz at 43 and 30. Uh, offensive rating of 15th, defensive rating of 2nd, and a net rating of 6th. The Jazz have defeated the Clippers in both of the two matchups. And that's kind of what makes this so difficult, this one and the next team. Clippers have only played them twice, so it is kind of hard to glean as much from matchups in which they've played a team three or four times. Uh, The Jazz outscored the Clippers by 26 points in the two matchups, so that's 13 points a game. And I'm going to keep this one a little bit brief because I just do not think this is a good matchup for the Clippers. You know, on a positive note, the Clippers have only turned the ball over 11.5 times in the two matchups against the Jazz. So, uh, you know, similar to the Portland situation, I think the more looks the Clippers are getting offensively, the more dangerous their offense can be. I mean, that's pretty basic. That would play that would play into the Clippers' advantage, except for the fact that the Jazz are so damn good defensively. And then on the other end, the Jazz's middling offense, the, the Clippers, I think, could fare decently against them. I mean, they haven't so far, but you know, the key with defending the Jazz is containing the pick and roll. Uh, you know, the Mitchell Gobert pick and roll has decimated the Clippers uh, in the two matchups. But uh, I think when those two aren't on the court, especially Mitchell. Uh, the Clippers can win those minutes, and they kind of have. And on another positive note, you know, the, the Clippers almost won that matchup in, in Utah. Uh, they really was the, the third quarter was the the difference maker. That was kind of during that stretch where the Clippers were struggling a lot coming out of halftime, and the Jazz were able to. I think the Clippers had like a seven or eight point lead at, at the half, and the Jazz came out right away, tied the game with like eight or nine minutes left in the third. And then from that point on, the Jazz really controlled the rest of the game. But uh, I do think that the Clippers, you know, showed a lot of progress in that second matchup compared to the way they were just blown out in in their first matchup with the Jazz at home. Uh, So, you know, we'll see. They play them one more time, final game of the season. We don't know what playoff position is going to look like. Maybe one of the two teams is resting guys. Uh, Maybe someone's trying to tank to get a certain matchup. Who knows? Uh, But I'm going to be very interested to see how that matchup goes, you know, j- just out of curiosity, but especially if these two teams are somehow playing each other at this point, it doesn't seem likely, uh, you know, it looks like these two will probably be some form of five, six, seven, eight. Uh, but you never know. On the disadvantage side, like I said, uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell have absolutely destroyed the Clippers in the two matchups. I mean, Rudy's stats, this looks like a typo, but he's averaging 21 points, 17 and a half rebounds and four blocks. Like he, he's basically been unstoppable. Uh, the Clippers have struggled scoring against him. They've been able to draw some fouls on him. He's had eight fouls in, in the two combined games. But really, Rudy has, I think, been the, the best player in the two games very clearly. And he, he's really swung uh, those minutes when he's been on the floor. Uh, but not to be, you know, not too far behind him has been Donovan Mitchell, who's uh, had 60 points between the two games. So. Uh, the Clippers have, have not had, you know, whether it was Avery or, or Pat, uh, Shea, like no one's been able to stop Donovan Mitchell in the pick and roll. Uh, and, you know, he's been able to get to the rim, draw fouls, uh, kick out the shooters. 
he's really just toyed with the Clippers defensively. And that has been between those two guys. I think that's really been the biggest difference in, in the two matchups. Gallo has also been awful in, in the two games, averaging 13 and a half points on just 21.4% shooting. That also seems like a typo, but that's how good the Jazz have been defensively. You know, one of those games was when Gallo had just kind of come back from injury uh, and, and wasn't really looking the same. So I don't want to read too much into that. But at the same time, like, I don't think it's a great matchup for him uh, because they have so many guys to throw at him. You know, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, uh, Royce O'Neal, even Derek Favors is like a sneaky, decent defender uh, on, on a guy like Gallo. So I, I think the, the Jazz can throw multiple guys at him um, and, and really bother him. And, you know, a, a big, a big swing factor in these two matchups have, have been the free throws. You know, the Clippers are only averaging 22 free throws per game against the Jazz. And when the Clippers don't get to the free throw line, they tend to struggle offensively. And on the contrary, the Jazz have been averaging 33 and a half free throws per game in the two matchups. So that's an 11.5 minus differential in, in free throws for the Clippers in almost any instance in which they are not getting to the free throw line and their opponent is, they're probably going to lose those games. Uh, the free throws are really a big swing factor for the Clippers. So similarly to the Thunder series, I would probably pick this in five or six games uh, for the Jazz. Uh, I just think the Jazz are better defensively than the Thunder. And you know, even though they don't have as much offensive firepower, you know, just that raw talent of, of Paul George or Russ, uh, I think, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in that pick and roll have just destroyed the Clippers. And I don't think the Clippers have a great way to solve that. And I think that, you know, the Jazz are the slightly harder matchup between them and the Thunder. Number six is going to surprise some people because I know even talking to some people around the Clippers, you know, so number six is the Rockets. And, and some people around the Clippers have almost said, they don't want to pick the Rockets, but looking at the teams they've they've done, you know, Clippers have done the best against the Rockets. Of all seven teams, they've fared the best against the Rockets. Now, both games were in the, the first month of the season, so it is hard to, you know, similarly to the, the Jazz dynamic, you know, it's only two matchups, and they were the first month. The Rockets were playing much worse than they are now, so it is kind of hard to take away a lot, but the Clippers match up decently with the Rockets on paper, uh, the the issue is the Rockets have been a much different team the last like two or three months, so we don't know how the Clippers fare. You know, would fare against that type of Rockets team. Uh, we'll we'll see in a little bit when they play uh, in early April. But so the Rockets are forty seven and twenty seven, number two in offensive rating, twenty first in defensive rating, and ninth in net rating. I think people would would like this series, and, and you know, just because of the you know the, the history there, you you have Chris Paul on one side. Pop Everly, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams on the other side. The two teams made the the deal in, in 2017. Uh, you have the, the whole hallway, you know, hallway tunnel, secret tunnel uh, dynamic. Um, I think it would be a very interesting and entertaining series. Uh, with that said, I do not think the Clippers would win that series. Uh, so the Clippers won both games at the beginning of the season, plus 23 point differential. So they outscored the Rockets by 11.5 points per game. In one of the games, James Harden did not play. In one of the other games, Chris Paul did not play. So Clippers have not seen both of those guys together. Advantages for the Clippers, just basically the Rockets aren't as good as they were last season. You know, offensively, they, they've been slightly worse. Defensively, they have been much worse. So overall, you know, this isn't last year's Rockets team, which 
was frankly one of the best regular season teams of all time, probably in that top 30 or so, which is, you know, was that team should, you know, they could have beaten the Warriors and won the title, but I think in, in most other seasons they would have uh, if the Warriors did not exist, but they did and, and they beat them in seven. So I think, you know, the, the, the Rockets are not a historically good team like they were last season. Uh, so this team is beatable. I, I just think they're really, really good still. Uh, the Rockets do not have a great matchup for Lou or Trez, especially in the pick and roll. Clippers really torched the Rockets in the pick and roll in the, in the first two matchups. Uh, I think, you know, Trez, Trez dominated them. He had that 30 point game in Houston. Uh, Lou, I mean, for both of those guys, this is personal. For Pat Beverly, this is personal. Uh, they've all kind of alluded to it at various points in the season and in previous matchups. Like, they take it personally when they play the Rockets, and I, I think that would that would be a positive for the Clippers. Uh, this is this is one of the few matchups also that the Clippers can win the glass and, and dominate the glass. And I think getting offensive rebounds and just you know preventing the Rockets from getting offensive rebounds could really be a differentiator in in the Clippers. Um, you know, side of things. So there are some th- positive things to take away. And, and look, and the Clippers won the first two matchups. So I don't want to say that means nothing, but I do think this is a much different Rockets team. Going to the disadvantages now, uh, again, I, I think the fact that they haven't played since the first month of the season, uh, both of these teams are drastically different. And the Clippers have a entirely different rotation almost. The Rockets are have, you know, kind of found their their groove and have been probably the second best team in the West for the past couple months now behind the Warriors. So it, they, they, I don't think it's a great matchup. Uh, you know, James Harden hadn't even hit his stride yet in, in you know, this season when, when the Clippers faced them, but he was still averaging 31 points and 14 assists against them. Uh, this, you know, different version of Harden, better version of Harden, whatever you want to say, um, you know, has been an offensive monster, uh, one of the craziest offensive performances of, of all time kind of since then and you know he's possibly the mvp favorite or co-favorite alongside Giannis. so again you know to simplify things like he would be the best player in the series uh, no doubt and i think that clippers don't have a great guy to throw at him like i guess it would be patrick beverly but again it's gonna be a lot of pick and roll um you know maybe you put shea on him I'm, I'm not really sure uh you know i know the clippers had put avery on him in the past yeah, this is more, <laughs> more times than I thought I'd, I'd mention Avery in a podcast, but keep bringing him up. Harden and Capella really hurt the Clippers in the pick and roll. You know, that's not necessarily unique, but I don't think the Clippers pick and roll defense has been that great this season. Another thing with the, with the pick and roll is, you know, Chris Paul's offensive skill set lends itself again to mid-range shooting and the Clippers want to force mid-range shots, but Chris Paul is one of the best mid-range shooters of all time. And, you know, the fact that Zubots, Trez, they, they can't allow Chris Paul open 16, 18, 20 footer, you know, jumpers. Those are like layups for him. So you're going to have to play up more on the pick and roll. And then that's going to either allow for penetration or kickouts or whatever. And I, I think that that would play to the Rockets advantage offensively. And despite losing both matchups, the Rockets made 33 pointers across the, the two games. So 15 threes a game is a lot. You know, and that was with the Rockets not even playing that well. So I, I do think that, you know, in a, in a seven-game series with the Rockets' ability to generate threes and points and, and just offense, like, that would be a problem for the Clippers' defense. I do not trust the Clippers' defense to be disciplined and, you know, good enough against the Rockets. So 
This one to me would be a bit of a quicker series. I would probably go 4-1 Rockets. But again, we'd have to see who's who's healthy and, and how the two teams are playing at that respective time, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. And the last one, which I'm going to keep this one real quick because I, I don't think it needs much explanation. The absolute worst matchup for the Clippers would be the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Warriors are 15-23, first in offense, 15th in defense, second in net rating, which just shows you how good their offense is that they can be, you know, 15th in defense and still have the second best net rating. Season series is two to one in the Warriors' favor. Uh, Warriors have outscored the Clippers by 15, so uh, it's about five points a game. Advantages for the Clippers: there aren't many, <laughs> but the Clippers have contained Clay and Draymond relatively uh, in their three meetings. They've held both of them to under 40 percent shooting. Uh, this is another matchup like the Rockets matchup, where the Clippers can win the rebounding battle and potentially swing things with that. Um, Clippers can attack DeMarcus Cousins in the pick and roll, you know, with Lou and Trez or, um, you know, Shea and, and Gallo, Shea and Zoo, whatever. Uh, and, and Lou and Shea have really played well against the Warriors. The Warriors have not had an answer for either of them. If you remember, Lou won that game uh, at Staples in November. Uh, you know, I think he hit a three and then he got fouled or may, maybe had a layup uh, to win that game. And Shea's played really well. The The Warriors... You know, whether it's been Clay or Steph, like they've not been able to guard Shea uh, in, in any of the matchups. So I think Shea, this is another series in which Shea could be a difference maker. Uh, we haven't really seen, you know, we, not, not we haven't, like we, we have not seen the new guys go against uh, Golden State yet. So it, it's too early to say what Zoo or, or Landry would do. But, um, you know, they play, the Clippers play the Warriors second to last game of the season. Uh, that could be a potential playoff preview. Uh, very well might be. And we'll, you know, be looking at that one to see uh, what we can take away from that. Disadvantages, <laughs> well, it's the Warriors. So that's that's the biggest disadvantage. They are arguably the best team of all time going on their quest for a three-peat. And the, the you know, one way to beat the Warriors, uh, or the main way I would say, is you got to slow down KD or Steph. And the problem for the Clippers has been They've been able to stop neither of them. Both are averaging over 30 points a game against the Clippers, and both are shooting over 50% from the floor. Uh, that is a recipe for disaster against the Warriors. Katie and Steph have basically done whatever the hell they've wanted. Uh, the Clippers have absolutely no answer for either of them. And again, going back to the best player in the series ideology, by far and away, Katie and Steph are the two best players in the series. You could probably make the case that you know clay is is the third best and on a given night draymond can be the fourth best so that would really play against the clippers this is a matchup in which the clippers undersized perimeter group would be a major disadvantage for them uh you know the the recipe for making you know if you've looked at the teams that have been able to make golden state struggle over the last few years you know okc in 2016 cleveland in 2016 uh the rockets last year They've been able to throw out a bunch of six, 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 seven, six, eight guys, you know, switch one through four, throw bigger guys at KD, throw bigger guys at Steph, at Clay. Clippers can't really do that. You know, Gallo can do it a little bit. I guess Garrett Temple can. Um, Shea can get in the mix, but like Clippers don't really have that type of perimeter size and, and defensive versatility to throw out the Warriors, which I think is really the one way to disrupt them defensively. And the Clippers just don't have that. The Warriors have only shot 32.4% on threes against the Clippers, which is encouraging. The 
Bigger issue, though, is that they've been averaging 36 three-point attempts in the matchups, which is a lot of threes. And and that really kind of speaks to basically the, the Clippers have had a lot of defensive breakdowns against the Warriors. They've been giving up a lot of open threes, and the Warriors just haven't been hitting them. So if the Warriors had converted, and I, I do remember in that you know first game in L.A., uh, the Warriors did not shoot the ball very well. You know, they shoot the ball at even an average rate. They probably won that game and are up 3-0 in this season series. So, uh, you know, you could also make the argument Clippers could have won that game in Oracle, the, the second matchup, uh, where, you know, Tobias balled out. The Clippers made, I think they were like, what, 15 of 18 on threes or something crazy like that, some type of record or close to record. But, yeah, like, I, I just think that the Warriors are so damn good. To me, this would be a sweep. I'd be surprised if the Clippers won a game, but, you know, maybe they do. But, the, I mean, it's the Warriors, and I think people always forget how dominant they've been uh, in the KD era in the playoffs. Like, it's it's hard to get a game against the Warriors. They've swept some pretty good teams. So I, I think for the Clippers, really, for me, in my opinion, as long as they avoid the Warriors in round one, could be any of the other seven teams, uh, Clippers should get at least one game, if not two. And who knows, you know, if they play the Blazers, the Spurs, maybe even the Nuggets, like they could potentially win that series. Uh, the other three, I, I would say, are probably five or six game losses. But as long as they avoid the Warriors, I think the Clippers could pull off the upset in round one. With all of that said, thank you for listening to episode five of the Clip City podcast. Uh, as always, if you have any feedback for me, you can reach out to me and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. Uh, that's at J-O-V-A-N. B-U-H-A. If you'd like to read my work on the Clippers, please go check out and subscribe to The Athletic. You could start off with a one-week free trial, see if you like it, and then decide if you want to keep subscribing for the price of a cup of coffee, a scoop of ice cream, a juice. Uh, you get the picture. Most importantly, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Clip City podcast on BlueWire. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now Stitcher. We are officially on Stitcher now. Uh, five-star reviews are encouraged so are very complimentary comments and i will talk to you next tuesday hopefully with a guest and not me rambling for 40 minutes i appreciate you listening if you have loved ones that rely on your income you need life insurance but finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime with Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award-winning service has a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today.